0: Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church in our Sunday School hour. This is the lesson for May twenty-first of uh, 2023, and so uh, pardon my uh, residual COVID voice. Hopefully, we get over that pretty quick. But um, in uh, our study in Galatians now that we're going to look at, we're going to look in chapter one, verses six through ten, and uh, the title is "Does it really matter? Does it really matter?" Is Paul making a mountain out of a molehill here, or is it something that really matters? Because sometimes we kind of downplay things, and we say, ah, you know, as long as you believe in Jesus, as long as you go to church, as long as you live a moral life, you know, everything is uh, going to be okay. And that's kind of the issue when you look at the book of Galatians. There are just some things you got to be right about, and you don't want to guess. And uh, you don't want to just, you know, try it and see, cross your fingers, knock on wood and hope that everything works out. Because there's some things that are very, very clear that you just can't mess with and you can't change. It's either right or it's wrong. It's either good or it's bad. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is one of those things. This is not just, um, we used to say close doesn't count except in, uh, what is it, horseshoes hand grenades, and atom bombs, is the way we put it then. And uh, that's kind of the way it is with the gospel. Some people get extremely close, and almost nearly, but not quite hardly, was another thing that I remember somebody saying. And so uh, whenever you put Jesus in there, and you go, yeah, it's Jesus, we believe in the same Jesus, and our faith is in Jesus, but then you add something to Jesus. Uh, You know, there are many church people that uh, will say, you uh, have to trust in Jesus now. You have to believe that he died on the cross, rose from the dead, but you also have to be baptized. Okay, what would be possibly wrong with that? Because we're not anti-baptism, not at all. That's a, a command. In fact, it's in our church name, Graceway Baptist or Baptizing Church. And uh, when our forefathers first started being called Baptists, that was not a compliment because uh, in England, the king, if you watched any of the coronation of King Charles III, he was called the head of the church and defender of the faith. Well, they took that a whole lot more serious back in the uh, 15 and 1600s. And so when our early Baptist forefathers when they began reading the Bible and said that salvation is not through the rituals of the church, it's through the sacrifice, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then they started noticing that everybody in the Bible was baptized not when they were babies, not before salvation, but on the public profession of their faith. We call it a credo-baptist, okay? And uh, you have to have faith. You have to have a belief. And so uh, they said, we need to baptize afterwards. Now, how do you think the king took it if you were baptized under the king's authority as the head of the church when you were a little baby, but then when you're 20, you trust Christ as your savior, and then you're baptized again. And so they first started calling them, Anna Baptist, the Greek word Anna means again, and Baptist means baptizers. And so these were the people that were marked off as baptizing again upon public profession of faith. Now that doesn't sound like a big deal, and it's not even foreign to us. That's the way we were raised, that's the way we've always done it. But back then it was shocking. Back then, to be baptized again was Uh, in essence, saying that you renounce the baptism of the Church of England of whom the king was the head. So how do you think that's going to go? It looks like you are, uh, you know, uh, insulting the king, doesn't it? And so uh, we we look at that and we kind of say, what's the big deal? about those kind of things. But our early Baptist forefathers looked and they said, we want to get this right. And we don't want to say that baptism saves, but we don't want to say that baptism is unimportant either because it is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they were careful about that. And uh, here's, here's the problem, for example. If you say that Jesus plus baptism is necessary for salvation, then what you're really saying is Jesus is not enough, not good enough, not complete enough to save you. It's really the baptism that does it. Now, people that you talk to about that will, you know, pitch a fit. No, we're not saying that. But the truth of the matter is, if you were to trust in Christ, repent of your sins and trust in Christ and never get baptized, they would say then You don't get to go to heaven. You go to hell. So what is the important thing? It takes away the importance of Christ and puts the importance on the baptism. And that would be true in... uh, That's just one illustration of whatever you do. So anything you add to Jesus nullifies Jesus and magnifies the action or the work of man. So... uh, if uh, you fall for the thing of saying that Jesus plus baptism or Jesus plus a moral life or Jesus plus... Some people even say, I've got family members. You've got to trust in Jesus, but you also can't eat pork and you've got to eat certain things. Now, there's nothing wrong with abstaining from pork and there's nothing morally wrong with eating pork. If you want to go either way, that would be your choice. But if you tie it down and say, this is what is necessary to be a good Christian and to be right with God, well, then that nullifies what Jesus did on the cross, and we will uh, talk about that in a little bit. Now, all of this can't be right. I talked to some Mormons one time, and we ended up, and I said, listen, I, I, I'm done, and uh, I want you to think about this. If you're right, I'll be okay. I may not make it to the third heaven, but I'll I'll get to one of them. And, uh, you know, it, it'll be okay. But if I'm right, you're going to die and spend an eternity in hell. Now, we both can't be right. Now, it may be that we're both wrong. And it may be that you're right and I'm wrong, or I'm right and you're wrong. But we can't both be right. And I said, so please think about that. And I shook hands with them. And that was the end of the deal. And that's what Paul is really saying in the book of Galatians. It can't be this free-for-all that, you know, as long as you're close, as long as you're sincere, and as long as Jesus is in there somewhere, it'll all work out and it'll all be okay. In fact, he goes to war um, in this book against all of these things. And when we read our text, he puts it this way. Let's go to... Galatians one six, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, from Christ, who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. In other words, it's not really a different gospel. He says, um, but there are some who trouble, they agitate you, they stir you up, and they want to pervert the gospel, the good news of Christ. Now listen how adamant Paul is. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel or any variety or any form of the gospel, then what we preach to you, let him be accursed. The word is anathema, the strongest word in the Greek language to uh, say Condemned. In other words, let him go to hell. And verse 9 says, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade or seek to please men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I should not be a bondservant of Christ. And Paul is saying there, if this boiled down to making people happy, why did he ever convert? Why did he ever leave Judaism? Man, he had it all there. And he had all the accolades and all the applause of men for everything that he did in the Jewish religion. And he said, but because pleasing God and doing it God's way was so much more important. He left family and friends and all of that in order that he might please and have the approval of God. Now, number one, let's talk about this, the astonishment that Paul felt. In fact, he puts it in there, I marvel, I marvel that you are turning away from him who called you, in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which he says really is not another gospel. This is not a vending machine where there are um, 16 different types of candy in there. And uh, let's say you wanted Snickers, my kind of go-to. And so you uh, push the buttons A17 and then you find out the machine's out of Snickers. Well, okay, I'll go with... uh, what a payday, let's say. And so you get a payday and either way you walk away with a candy bar. Now we can debate whether candy bars are any good for you or not or whether you ought to have any of them, but uh, you're happy because you at least got one. One's about as good as another, you might say. Well, Paul is saying when it comes to salvation and it comes to the gospel, there's not a vending machine. There's only one and you have to get the right one, you have to make sure that it's correct because there are, let's put it this way, there are no options, are no options. Jesus, Jesus only, Jesus alone, and that's what the Reformation was built on. Sola Scriptura, only the scripture defines what salvation is. Sola Fide, only faith allows us to enter into the kingdom of God. Sola gratia, only through the grace, the undeserved favor of God. And it is all only for the glory of God. So those five solas, or onlys, are so important. Because back in the days of Luther, if you were to talk to someone who was a devout Roman Catholic, do you believe that you have to have faith in Jesus to be saved? And they would all say, absolutely you do. Then you amplify the question, is it only faith in Jesus? Well, any devout Catholic would have to say, no, it's Jesus plus the sacraments. It's Jesus plus the traditions, plus the rituals. And that's what uh, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and those guys all fought against. No, only Jesus, only scripture, only grace, only faith. That word alone is So incredibly important because if you do not have that, it actually, Paul says, changes the gospel. It's not just a different form or a different idea or a different opinion. It literally is not a gospel anymore. See why it's important to get this right? It's, well, it's like this. It's a pass-fail. Pass-fail. You're either right or you're wrong. You either have it or you don't have it, and these Galatians had received it, and Paul was absolutely astonished that they could uh, walk away from it. Now, um, when he uses the word turning away in these verses, it, uh, in the original language it means a voluntary choosing to turn away. It's kind of like a military deserter. My dad worked in the early 70s with military deserters. I mean, my dad, Mr. Military, the guy who had served in Korea, who had two Purple Hearts, who was now a commissioned officer in the United States Army as a chaplain, is working with deserters. I thought it was kind of funny that he did that. The amazing thing is a lot of those guys got saved. There were about 50 of them that were baptized in uh, one year, Uh, most of them went back, took their court-martial, took their punishment and finished their military career. Because at one time they had been a deserter. They walked away from all of it and they were caught and brought back. Well, Paul is saying that these Galatian believers were like military deserters, walking away from the truth of the gospel. And he says, and I marvel that you did it so soon. Now, uh, that's not a really, really clear translation, so soon. It almost makes it sound like if you had waited six more months or six more years, then I would have understood it. Well, Paul's never going to understand anybody that will pervert the gospel or walk away from the truth of the gospel. The word so soon there... I marvel that you do this so soon, it actually would be better translated that you do it so easily. Now, how do you know about Christ? How do you know about his sacrifice? How do you know about all the prophecies of Scripture? How do you know about the wrath of God being put on the innocent Son of God in your place and then just go, nah, I'm going to believe something else? Paul said, I don't understand how you can do that. And I would, I would agree with him certainly there because they were knowingly doing this. They went from grace alone to a different gospel, which is not really any kind of gospel at all. Now, number two, let's talk about the crucial issue on all of this. Now, when Paul talks about this, he uh, is saying here that there are some who trouble you. They stir you up. They agitate you. And they always have this idea of, I know something you don't know. And it was freaking these people out. Well, maybe there is too. Maybe the gospel that Paul taught us, it's too easy. Too easy. I heard a guy on the radio one time say, uh, so you can live like the devil and live like Adolf Hitler. And yet at the end of your life, put your faith in Christ and go to heaven. He goes, that's, Uh, offensive to me. I'm living my life, and I live all of my life (coughs) according to the law and the word of God, and uh, you're saying this guy gets to go to heaven by faith alone? He goes, that's ludicrous. Okay? What was he saying? That's too simple. That couldn't possibly ever happen. Pardon me. (coughs) There, that'll help. And uh, so... As Paul talks about this, he said, these people are always going to be stirring you up because they always want to put man in salvation. It can't be just Christ. It has to be man in cooperation. There was a early uh, Christian, uh, I guess Christian, I, I'm not really, but uh, an early church person named uh, Pelagius. And Pelagius was the idea that God and man work together, and they cooperate in salvation. A lot of Baptists are what we call semi-Pelagian because they don't believe the full thing, but they believe that God has done his part, and now you must do your part, walking an aisle, praying a prayer, or something like that. And uh, we argue that the Bible teaches that salvation is all of God, and that Jesus paid the full price and the final and ultimate price in all of this. And anybody who tries to add to the gospel Jesus plus a sacrament, Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus baptism, or whatever it might be, they are adding to this and they are actually nullifying the cross of Christ. And Paul calls this, they are troubling you. They're agitating you. Now I want you to think of trying to stand up and to be stable. Let's say you're in a little fishing boat, a little aluminum fishing boat, and you decide you're going to stand up. And uh, the lake is rough. The winds are really blowing. You ever tried that? It's really, really hard to do. And Paul is saying these people are coming and they're agitating. They're stirring things up and they're taking away The stability that we have of having our feet, as Ephesians 6 says, firmly planted in the gospel of Christ. Firmly planted and uh, standing firm in the gospel. You can't. You're being tossed about by every wind and every wave of doctrine. When it says that uh, they are perverting the gospel, it means to distort or literally to turn inside out Uh, we're reversing the gospel when this happens so no matter how well meaning somebody may be if they say jesus plus something else they're taking the gospel and they're turning it inside out it's a perverted gospel and it's a gospel that will not save and it's a gospel that not only that it cannot save so it must be Rejected, And so the false teachers were pursuing true believers and trying to push them back into the old covenant. This is dependent upon what you do. This is dependent upon the way you live. This is dependent upon the way that you act. It's not dependent. You can't rest in Christ. You know, the old hymn says, Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? That's what we're talking about here. Fully trusting in Christ. Now I may look at my life, and I don't always act like a Christian. And if you followed me around, and if you knew my thoughts and motives, there were times you would question my salvation. There are times I question, and I look and say, could I really be saved and think like that? Could I really be saved and act like that? But I believe it was uh, Charles Spurgeon that said, I am a great sinner but I have a greater Savior. And so to fully trust in God means, and fully trust in, in his grace, is to say that I'm not trusting in me. I'm not trusting in how I act, what I do. I'm trusting in what Christ has done for me as the full payment for my sin. See what I mean? And so to turn that inside out nullifies all of that. Not saying that you lose your salvation, but you'll lose the peace of your salvation because you think it is dependent upon you. And it's got to be on Christ. Rest in Him. Number three, the condemnation that they face. Now Paul said, But if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what, you, uh, what we pr- have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now... I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now, Paul's pretty strong. He said, even if I preach something different than what I preached before, then I need to die and go to hell forever. Okay? Why, Why is he saying that? Because the gospel he brought to them, you remember, He didn't get it from man. This is the gospel of Christ. Not only is it about Christ, but it is from Christ. This is uh, the thing that is uh, found even in the Old Testament. You know, we tend to think that, and and if you think this, please correct this, because we tend to think that the Jews, well, they had a different way to get to heaven than we do. They offered lambs, and that's how they went to heaven. They obeyed God. And that's how they went to heaven. Well, in Genesis chapter 15, it says, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, how is that any different than you? You believed God. You believed that Jesus died on the cross, paid for your sins. You surrendered to him as Lord of your life. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves it is a gift of god not of works lest any man should boast guess what you're saved the same way abraham was abraham was saved by just believing god not merely believing in god but believing god and that was evidenced of course by his obedience if you believe god you obey god if you don't believe god you don't believe, you don't obey And you do it your own way. But Abraham was saved just like you, by faith in God and in his word. Adam and Eve sinned against God. God sought them and found them, just like he does you, in every sinner. And then he killed an animal, and that innocent animal's blood was shed on behalf of the guilty sinner's life, Adam and Eve. And uh, that's always been the case. The innocent dies for the guilty. The whole sacrificial system was not a way to gain points with God. It was an admission, I am undeserving of God's forgiveness. And I'm offering this innocent animal in my place, trusting in the shedding of innocent blood for my sin. It was pointing to Christ. It was looking ahead all of those years to when Jesus would die on the cross. So the plan of salvation is not different for the Jew and the Gentile. It's not different for the Old Testament believer and the New Testament believer. It's always faith. It's always in a sufficient sacrifice. And it always points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So perverting the gospel then, let's put it this way. It's not simply a mistake. It's intentional, Paul said. Paul said they are turning it inside out. They are, uh, the King James says, they're bewitching you. Isn't that what it says? That you are bewitched in turning from the gospel. It's demonic. It is not of God. And it's not just an innocent mistake. Because there really is no other gospel. And uh, it uh, cannot be changed, compromised, tinkered with or uh, improved. There is no improvement on the gospel. It cannot be blended and uh, it cannot be synthesized with everything else. Big word today is syncretism. People say let's take the best of every theology. Let's take the best of every religion. Let's take the best ideas of all of them and put them together and then we'll have something perfect. No, you won't have something perfect. You'll have something that is perverted. You'll have something that completely misses the point and puts the emphasis on what man does rather than what God does. Not of works, remember? Lest any man should boast. So salvation is really this simple. It's either by grace, the undeserved favor of God, that he freely bestows on all who believe, quoting another hymn there, Uh, or it is by human achievement and by the works that you do. So Jesus plus anything for salvation nullifies uh, what has been done. Think about Galatians 2, 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, human achievement, human performance, human works, then Christ died for no purpose. See? If there was a different way, why would God the Father put His Son through what He put, through, put Him through? If you could be saved by Christ and faith in His death on the cross and by church membership, why wouldn't God the Father just simply say, well, I love my Son too much to put Him through that. Just join a church and do their rituals. But the truth of the matter is, folks, there is absolutely no other way and we've got to get that in our minds too glibly and easily we say yeah i believe that but then we act like everybody else in every other religion well they're good people well they're okay well i can't see them going to hell well they're not saved but they are good people i can't tell you how many times i've heard people say that i've seen people in our own church when a celebrity a god-hating christ-denying celebrity dies and they put on facebook rest in peace whoever no there's no rest for the wicked the bible says they die and they spend eternity in hell it makes a difference that's why we're supposed to be telling people about jesus we are not to be indifferent about this and that's why we are to contend earnestly in the first chapter uh, first few verses of the book of jude contend earnestly For the faith, once for all, delivered to the saints. Because there's no option. There's nowhere else to go. They were told when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commended that. And the response was, Well, where else can we go? There's no one else who has the words of life. Absolutely. That's why it says in the book of Acts, No other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Folks, we got to get passionate about this. we got to start believing it, and we've got to start acting like it's true by witnessing to people. It's the only hope that they have. It's why we've got to stand up for the gospel. It's the only hope that we have. It's why we can't put up with error in the church or anywhere else, because it is wrong. Better move on, okay? So let's uh, look at number four, the central issue. A central issue. For now, do I persuade men or God? Who am I seeking to please? Who do I have my focus on? He said, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now, the idea of persuade here, better translated, would be uh, seek approval. So by persuading God, I'm trying to get him to see things my way. Though easy to understand, am I trying to persuade him to accept me by my efforts and by all of the things that I have done? I'm presenting it up to him. Is this acceptable to you? Think of the offering of Cain and the offering of Abel. Abel offered a blood sacrifice. His sacrifice was accepted. Cain offered the work of his hands, the best of what he could do and what he could produce as a farmer. And God rejected it, ticked Cain off. And that ended up with him murdering Abel because uh, instead of people that are lost wanting to repent, they'd rather just ignore us, just wipe us out or do away with us. And of course, we know the devil comes only to kill, steal and destroy, right? Well, we see that acted out in Cain. And when we look at uh, Cain and his offering, what was he doing? He was saying, "This is the best I've got. Surely this will please you." And it didn't. And it's as if Cain was saying, "Well, I'm not putting up with this anymore." And so he murders his brother instead of offering up an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. Now, what was he doing? He was trying to to use our words here to persuade man or persuade God pardon me wanted God to see things his way I think it's a good sacrifice you should like it as well I think it's perfectly acceptable I think it reflects what is in me I am offering this to you as the best thing that I have why won't you accept that and uh, of course God wouldn't because there's only one way (coughs) <coughs> so Cain, and that's why the Bible makes reference to the way of Cain, it always leads to hell. It always leads to uh, going away from God. It always leads to God's rejection every single time. And religions are either be- built upon Abel or Cain. We're either coming with a sacrifice that pleases God, and the only sacrifice that pleases God is the sacrifice of of his son and anything else anything that substitutes for that or denies it or adds to it is not acceptable unto the lord so this really is the issue and there's a difference between what pleases god versus man matthew uh, chapter 12 verse 30 says whoever is not with me is against me and Whoever does not gather with me scatters. You're there with God or you're not. And so you come the way God demands that you come, or you don't come. You can't come. Put it that way, you can't come. So God's, God demands perfection. And so uh, where in the universe do we find perfection? If God taking you to heaven is dependent upon perfection, you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. Because where do we find perfection? You know, the rich young ruler had it right when he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus commended him. Why do you call me good? Listen, there is none good but God. And that's what our point is, this central issue. There's none good but God. Where do you find perfection? And the only way you're going to find perfection is in God. You can't manufacture it. You can't doctor it up. You can't work it up. You can never even get close. You miss it. I mean, if you miss perfection, and that's what God demands, then an inch is as good as a mile. It doesn't really matter. You missed it. And so many people are going to be like um, in the Gospel of Matthew. But Lord, we did miracles, and we cast out demons. Look at us. Look where we are and how good we are. And Jesus will say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. That's a sad, sad, sad thing. And we've got to get that in our hearts. A lot of good church people are going to be like those people because they didn't have a perfect sacrifice. Well, you say, now how in the world can we have a perfect sacrifice? Well, if there's none good but God, then that means only God can provide the perfect sacrifice. In Genesis, I believe it's 22, When Abraham and Isaac are going up to Mount Moriah, where the temple later would stand, and Abraham is going to offer the sacrifice. You remember the interchange? Isaac says, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, uh, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham made that great statement, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Well, you know, uh, that is so true because he did. He not only provided a sacrifice, he provided himself the sacrifice through Jesus Christ. pictured it through the ram that Abraham would offer in the place of Isaac. And uh, later, Christ would be crucified, offered on our behalf. Isn't that great? And it's perfect because the sacrifice is God himself. Talk about an unblemished lamb. Jesus Christ was the unblemished. Blemished Lamb, and so uh, man settles for trying harder, doing better, and uh, you know try to attain a certain amount of good. How much good is enough? Well, the Pharisees thought fifty-one percent. You know, Muslims teach the same thing. You're going to stand before Allah, and He's going to weigh your life out on a scale. And as long as the good outweighs the bad, fifty-one <coughs> percent. You can make it into heaven. Well, that's basically what every religion teaches except Christianity. Christianity says you have to have a perfect sacrifice. Where do I get it? From a perfect God. So pleasing man just simply says, try harder. Man, you can do it. You've got everything you need in and of yourself. Just believe in yourself. Well, that's inadequate to get you into heaven. You need a perfect sacrifice. You're not really all that bad, they might say. Oh, we've all got our mess-ups and we've got our mistakes, but you're not as bad as some people. You could be a whole lot worse. Don't be so hard on yourself. God's a forgiving God. You're not really a sinner. You just need education or you need um, motivation, and you'll be fine. They pat you on the back. A lot of churches teach that, and a lot of preachers preach self-improvement, motivational messages. But that won't get you into heaven, Paul says. Let them be accursed if they preach any other gospel. So pleasing man is making people, uh, getting people to approve of you and declare that you have done enough to go to heaven. And uh, it even means that you are at peace and you're satisfied with all you've done and they pronounce that for you, and I pronounce that on you. Spurgeon had this problem in his day back in the mid to late 1800s. He said, everywhere there is apathy. Nobody cares whether what is preached is true or false. A sermon is a sermon. Whatever the uh, subject, only the shorter the better. And that's the criteria. Did I feel something? Did it help me? Did it not take up too much time? Or is it right? and accurate in truth. And Paul contends this has to be right. So pleasing God is being acceptable to God by trusting fully, meaning exclusively, in the sacrifice of a perfect Savior, and that's Christ. And this is one reason why we we must reject the seeker-sensitive model for church growth or sanctification or anything. Christ only and Christ alone alone pleasing God and the perfection that is there okay so we'll wrap it up in John 14 Jesus said to him I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me Acts chapter 4 verse 12 and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and He said in Ephesians 2, lest any man should boast. And if you did anything for your salvation, you have the right to boast in your salvation. But if it's all of God, then he gets all the glory. So who do you know who is trusting in a false gospel? You better witness to them. You better be concerned about them. You better care and you better pray for them. And who has drifted away? Paul cared. Cared about the Galatian believers. And that's the bottom line. Do you? Do you care about the glory of God? And do you care about people? If so, then you will indeed be a witness for Christ and you'll be a true contender for the faith. And that's really what we want, okay? So thank you for taking time to tune in and I pray this blesses you, fills your soul and you are empowered and anointed to preach this to the people in your Sunday school lesson. You're a preacher. Go forth and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There may be a lost person in your class who gets saved. There may be some other people who get this and they say, I need to be a witness for Christ. That's a win-win situation. So go forth in the name of the Lord and uh, take the gospel of Jesus Christ and feed the people, the souls of the people of God for his glory. There's your task. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you, and we'll see you next week.